Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. This episode is being recorded live from the NRFshop.org Digital Summit on Tuesday, September 27th, 2016. As usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason. One of our favorite topics on the show is e-commerce platforms. We talk about uh, all the different platforms out there. And for the first time in our brief podcast history, we have a platform provider on the show tonight. We're excited to welcome Mark Lavelle, CEO of Magento, and he's also here with Peter Sheldon, VP of Strategy at Magento. Thanks for joining us, guys. How are you doing? Real great. Good. Yeah, great. Thanks for having us here. Thanks guys. for having us. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's been a long day. It's 930 here local time, so we appreciate you guys kind of uh, being flexible on when you can meet. We've been uh, podcasting like crazy. Jason's been emceeing keynotes, so, uh, but we saved the best for last, so we're really excited to have you. Well, you know, it's shop.org, so you go you go as long as you need to at shop.org, right? Great. That's the yeah. spirit. Go big or go home. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. yeah. So let, let's start by um, just kind of on the personal side, talk about your careers a little bit. Mark, we'll start with you. Uh, you know, uh, love to hear how you got involved in e-commerce and kind of your career, career trajectory of, uh, you know, what did you do before you got to Magento and, yeah. and however far back you want to go? Well, sure. I think most relevant is I've been, I kind of came from the payment space and, Started a company in early 2000 called Bill Me Later, which we started in 2000. And uh, with from the third year of our business plan, we sold the company eight years later to <laughs> to eBay, um, and uh, had a great kind of six year career within eBay. I um, worked about three or four years with PayPal, and then a couple of years with eBay, uh, eBay Inc. Ultimately became involved in spinning out uh, what was known as eBay Enterprise, which is a collection of businesses that we were trying to create around collected commerce, uh, connected commerce, and um, ultimately spun those businesses out and came to run uh, what is now known as Magento Commerce. So that's how I got here. Great, great. And uh, Peter, what the heck does a VP of strategy do? Oh, VP is hey, I resemble that remark. <laughs> Do you uh, work on SWOT analysis all day? Yeah, kind of exactly, the, exactly. The it's a, it's a kind of catch-all uh, job category. So for, you're like the Jared of the whole. Yeah, uh, it's it's a, it's the jack of all trades. You know, everything that everyone else doesn't want to deal with kind of lands on my plate. No, it's, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, it's a uh, it's it, it, it's a pretty exciting role. I mean, I'll, I'll wind back and answer your first part of the question. You know, how, how did I get into the space? Um, you know, I was like, I guess a spotty kid in university, and and I had an engineering degree. Um, and, and my first uh, kind of job, in the, I grew up in the UK, was, was with Ford Motor Company. And I, I joined as an engineer. I thought I'd be building and designing cars. And um, I, I kind of got in there and uh, got, got wind. And this is just before the, the dot-com bubble of this kind of project. They were going to sell cars online. And I was kind of a bit geeked out by this all and got, got invited myself somewhat into that team. And um, before I knew it, sort of was being trained on doing, you know, uh, what was ASP, you know, uh, even before .NET sort of coding. I'm like, this is all new to me and uh, ended up working on this sort of two year long project to sell cars online, which was kind of way ahead of its time. It's pretty cool. You could configure and pick your colors and your engine. You could do no your online, online finance approval. And, um, you know, it was way ahead of its time. And, uh, but chat classic channel conflict, you know, the, the car dealers as it is still today with Tesla in the US, it just didn't work. You know, they, they revolted big time. So, and I kind of got hooked on e-commerce and been doing it ever since through, you know, vendors. I, I did five years of Forrester, um, you know, covering the space, you know, e-com platforms is sort of my, uh, my holy grail. And, uh, a year ago, uh, joined, joined Magento courtesy of an invitation from Mark. So. That's my story. And this has been an awesome role reversal for Peter and I. Like I've spent many years of my career uh, doing briefings with Peter and praying that he didn't say mean things about me in his report. So I'm thrilled to be on the other end of the mic. I'm actually quite scared to be here tonight. Well, so did I. I mean, I hired him (laughs) just to torture him for the next couple of years. And it's it's really a favor you've done to the industry, Mark. We're all really grateful for your torturing of Peter. Yes, I am. You should all know that. I I need to ask better interview questions. I never knew you tried to sell cars. So the awkward questions are coming from the other side of the table tonight. Exactly. (laughs) 
Great. Um, so, so that's interesting. Tell us a little bit, Mark. So Magento has been through kind of a lot of transitions. Um, tell, tell listeners kind of a little history of, of Magento, how it got started and kind of where it is today. Yeah. In the um, we, when, when I became involved, uh, when I came over to run strategy and corporate development for PayPal, there was this little company in, in LA um, called Magento that was growing virally across the world. And uh, it was really showing up on our radar for total payment volume. And we had a lot of channel partners and we said, wow, what's this? Turns out it was a pretty extraordinary company. And uh, we had a minority investment in it in 2010, bought the rest of it in 2011. And um, it, it spent, you know, the next three years within eBay, PayPal didn't own it. It was a uh, sort of part of a uh, part of eBay's commerce. It was founded by Roy Rubin and I can never remember the CTO's name. Uh, Yoav Kutner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Roy, Roy and Yoav, um, two UCLA graduates kind of put a kernel around the uh, old OS commerce um, open source stack. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it became very, very uh, viral. And, uh, and it, under, under eBay, I think it, 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 uh, it kind of, Wallowed in the back office there for a while under under various strategies, trying to find its way, but continued to grow pretty successfully. Um, uh, and, and eBay began to invest a lot of R and D, and not just Magento, but in order management, kind of kind of point of sale experience software. Uh, eBay Enterprise, we bought GSI, and um, sort of at the end of my tenure within eBay, I had this bright idea to help the acquisitions that we had made with GSI by taking Magento and combining it with, um, uh, with, with what was the, the GSI acquisition and create what became eBay enterprise. And somewhere between doing that and trying to, trying to turn those businesses around, uh, eBay and PayPal split up. And in 2015, we were kind of selling non-strategic assets for eBay and uh, PayPal and ultimately got a chance to run what became known as a, as a Magento. And the former GSI assets were, were sold to another uh, uh, private equity firm. And that's now Radial. It is now Radial. But they don't yep. sell tires. That's always very confusing. They do not. But they do do a great job at uh, very differentiated uh, B2C fulfillment for, for uh, top brands. Got it. And um, for folks that aren't familiar with Magento, so there's this community edition, which is kind of the open source community. And then you guys have always had the enterprise edition, which adds some features and whatnot, and then also adds support, kind of like the Red Hat business model around Linux. Um, is that is that a, a fair characterization? Is that kind of still the case? I think it is, but it's probably not well understood. So the certainly the open source nature of Magento and the community that got built around Magento is why we're here today. And that continues to be the case. The monetization of, of that kind of viral effect began a couple of years after uh, where this enterprise software sought to differentiate on feature service contract uh, things of that nature. It never really became a big service model like, like Red Hat would. It, it, it was very much, um, still finding its legs on how does a company that created something so global and so viral uh, monetize and become a a real company. And that's when eBay bought it. So the fortunate place we're in today is not a lot of companies get to be at this level where we have a very successful and vibrant open source ecosystem where, where we actually did a a study Peter led with, uh, with IDC where, there's $4.2 billion a year in the Magento economy, meaning the companies around Magento developing, serving, hosting, managing. And, um, and we have a very successful business called Magento that acts in great synergy with that to keep the whole thing going. And I'd contend there's not a lot of open source projects that make it to this level where you survive that first phase, you survive an acquisition, monetization, you exit the founders, all that, and uh, you become a viable standalone business. Yeah, you kind of have MySQL, Red Hat, or Linux, and that's kind of... Android and, maybe, I guess, yeah, if you want. Yeah, and then, then you guys. The um, one thing that, that happens a lot when I talk to some SMB folks is um, 
they kind of view open source means free and yeah, sure it is free, but you know, I always kind of try to say, well, you get the source code and, but then, you know, you have to figure out what you want to do with it. So um, what, what do you, when you're talking to people that come in the booth or whatnot, how do you explain kind of what open source is if they're kind of not familiar? I'm a developer, so I'm pretty familiar with it, but let's say they're a small business owner that's built their own e-commerce business and, and they're not familiar with open source. How, how do you explain that in kind of layman's terms? Well, um, as Peter's counseled me, I'm not using the term open source anymore. I'm using the term open core. But I think the distinctions are without a difference. What it really means is contribution, collaboration, and the ability for people to add value to the platform that allows the ultimate buyer of that platform to feel like they're future-proofed their business and not caught in somebody else's R&D queue. I'd say that's the biggest exciting feature of Magenta where our clients are coming and saying, I want to, they've all been through it before where they've, they bought the, the dream, they bought the momentum, but ultimately either the company that they were with wasn't investing enough R and D or whatever happened, they got left at the altar and Magenta will never do that because we have 170,000 developers across the world who are constantly waking up every day and thinking, how can I innovate? How can I serve clients? Yeah, that, and that's that's how we define that open source. Less about like code level contribution, although that does happen. It's more about the openness of the platform. So so let's um let me throw an example out and see if this kind of works. Just just for like a lame again, a non-coder. So so some developer in the ecosystem comes up with this cool way of loading product pages faster. Um and it's great for mobile, it's great for desktop. They they write that code, they then submit it into the community, um, and then then kind of that gets put into the core and becomes part of the platform and everyone in the ecosystem benefits. Is that kind of a, a good way to explain how that kind of innovation happens? It often doesn't happen that way. I mean, part of the value prop of Magento is that that's one route, but there's also this thing we call marketplace, which is really a, an innovation incubator. So the first place they want to test out that innovation and, and before we accept it sort of back into the core and say, yeah, this, this is something that everyone needs. They're, they'll build what we call an extension, put it in marketplace. And, they, you know, it, it, it's an open, um, it, it, it's just like, just that it's a marketplace. And so, you know, it's not forced upon the merchants who are using Magento, but, but they can download it and they can use it. Sometimes it's free, sometimes it's monetized. And, and we start to, again, see that viral effect. There's some extensions that, you know, are very sort of uh, bespoke and specific and there's others that go viral. And so we, we kind of keep an eye on that. And the ones that go viral, you know, or an opportunity for us to sort of take back into, into the core of the platform. Okay. So there's one extra step, but, but but I I think it's fair to, to your question. It's fair to say we contribute over 95% of the code to the open source. I mean, the biggest thing we've biggest contribution we've made to the Magento movement since I think the founding uh, of, of Magento was the contribution of Magento Two, which was uh, the next generation of platform. We gave that was probably over a hundred million dollars of development. We gave that away, and literally, it gets downloaded over half a million times. Half so a million times since we've announced it. That the contribution from the community is that they they pressure test that code. They they look at that code. They tell us what's good. They tell us what's bad. They add value to it. And as Peter said, they develop on top of it, and so. It's a little different than some of the other open source where literally people are submitting code okay. in, a, in a way. And and that is an important feature for our buyers who are CIOs of the largest corporations across the world who say, I want code control, but I also want the vibrancy of an ecosystem that makes sure that I'm never behind the curve, whether it's responsive design or visual merchandising or, or um, you know, and you know, retail or OMS, they want that open source and they want that investment from thousands of people developing on the platform that they're using to, they're not to run const- their business. They're not constrained by our R&D function and the way, we, the pace at which we're doing releases. They, there's a, you know, there's a much, much faster pace of innovation that's happening in the ecosystem that they can take advantage of. Is it, so is it fair to say that the sort of vibrance in the, ecosystem in, in your model is more around that that uh, extension marketplace than uh, independent developers contributing code to the core. Except for this, and, and Jason, I know you're passionate about this topic, which is when responsive design became a reality to the native app question, which was an interesting debate, but 
merchants have. To I've survive. pretty much answered that. They that have, debate you have, you have several yeah. times, but <clears throat> but um, they had to sur- they had to realize that when forty percent of your visitors are coming to mobile, you better do something now. The app debate's interesting, but <clears throat> responsive design became like a lifeline. There was a point in time where thirty three percent of all Magento sites had responsive design uh, implemented. And the overall average of other sites was under 5%. That's the clearest example I've seen quantitatively of this leverage development where there were dozens of Magento SIs and developers responsive, you know, creating retrofit responsive. And what we did, we went out and bought the best code that was available on the market. We put it into the core and we made it the feature that we gave away for free. So that's the leverage development that is really unique about this model that, that our, our end clients really uh, appreciate and uh, benefit from. Gotcha. So maybe that's a, a good opportunity to dive into a, another sort of alternative architecture that a lot of platforms struggle with. And maybe you can tell us where you guys sit. Um, the vernacular side, some folks call themselves platforms or software or whatever the case is. The, you know, one approach is... You offer a platform, which is sort of a, a set of building blocks, and then your your clients build e-commerce experiences on that platform. And then they're on the hook for a lot of that, the user experience flows and the information architectures, and you can get a lot of bespoke architectures and individualistic solutions from user to user on that yeah. same shared platform. Another approach is you do a lot of that work for the clients and you, you build sort of, you know, fully implemented stores and you have a lot of those best practices as you see them in there. And that, that could include responsive design, for example, although of course, Jason and Scott listeners know responsive design is not, yeah, the best practice. not the best practice, <laughs> um, but uh, like where, although it is a lifeline to people. Who it, it is absolutely better than not having yeah. a mobile optimized site. Uh, uh, we, we could certainly agree on that. Um, so where is like, so if, if one end is a, turnkey e-commerce store um, that you then may have some some level of customization and the other end is a platform that you build your own store on top of are you strongly at one end of that spectrum or the other or someplace in between or we're ambiguously right across the middle no, we're, no, but, uh, we're the hybrid right. I would say our, our traditional buyer um, is somebody that came to the question with a clear objective in mind, right? It is our, the traditional Magento buyer was, was technology um, uh, was pro technology, like under would, wanted and, and understood technology, understood hosting and, and also understood what they wanted to do with the customer experience. And therefore closed platforms were not really an option for our traditional buyer. Now that was seven or eight years ago. Right. Uh, and where we've evolved is we, we are doing a better job at, at making time to market, scale on demand, um, custom features being out of the box, much, much easier for buyers who are the CMO or the CEO, right? Who are, who are just like, I need to get a site up quickly. Magento is extremely good at that these days in terms of our Magento cloud product, um, in terms of our order management system. You can come out of the box and have a very full-featured, very scaled and capable um, uh, uh, e-commerce site that uh, you know doesn't require a whole lot of lot of effort. On the other hand, if you want to do, for instance, we have clients doing Internet of Things, direct to consumer, multinational, seventy-two country launches within three months, uh, multiple hosting environments, multiple ERP systems. Magento does that. So it's very, I'd say one of the things we've struggled with as Magento as a new independent company is just classifying where we play. Yep. Because ultimately what's happening in digital commerce is fascinating. And I hope we get into this. It's happening everywhere. It's not just your traditional shoe store online anymore. It's, it's, it's really every industry we, we, we uh, deal with in our daily lives. One concept you've mentioned a couple of times as we've talked about, you know, one certainly <clears throat> interesting thing is, proprietary software versus open source. And I think we've, we've kind of covered that a little bit. Another common question these days is on-prem software versus cloud-based solutions or 
SaaS solutions. Um, and various, I feel like at various times in Magento's history, you've experimented with some different models there. I certainly think that original viral version of Magento 1.0 was predominantly an on-prem solution that the, the users figured out how to host themselves for the most part. Yeah. Then you so, had Magento Go, not to be confused with Pokemon Go. You guys, yeah, right, right. You guys were Scott, Go. You're just so close to that. Yeah. You're so and close. Unfortunately, Scott's actually a bigger fan of Pokemon Go than Magento Go. Yeah. I like Magento, but okay. yeah. Pokemon are a little He does not have a Magento back. watch, and he does yeah, have I don't. a Pokemon You haven't watch. found any Magentos in your Pokemon? No, I haven't seen it. There was a Pikachu on the show floor today. I don't know if saw <laughs> yeah, We saw that. It uh, crashed into the booth. I, I don't think the guy He had an escort because he couldn't see. Out of me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he had a handler. <laughs> well, with that, I would say I'm going to turn this one to Peter to talk about the distinctions, because I think they are fascinating between where we were five years ago in terms of SaaS and where we are today with cloud computing and, and what's happened in, in, in the application world. But certainly our early experiment with Magento Go was, hey, look, how can we take a on-premise application, sassify it, and still have all the benefits of an ecosystem that could extend it to make our users' kind of dreams come true with what they really wanted to accomplish? What we found was, you know, Multi-tenancy is a nice thing for the investors in a SaaS business. It's not the best thing for the end user. So multi-tenancy is not a value proposition, especially when you're trying to build a value, build in a user experience that is unique. What is, what is unique in that is, is developers own ingenuity to deliver what the end merchant wants. And so what we've done with Magento Cloud and actually, it's not really us. It's what's happened in public cloud you know, computing is, I think, a game changer for how every entity that wants to sell anything to anybody and project a brand will ultimately want to uh, engage in digital commerce. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think this whole argument of single-tenant versus multi-tenant SaaS, whether we call it SaaS, whether we call it cloud, it's irrelevant. The merchant doesn't care. You know, you have to look to, you know, what what is the value prop that the merchant is looking for? And, and in the, you know, what they're really looking for is they want to focus on innovation, driving their forward their business forward. They want to focus on their business, on their metrics, on their average order value, and, and so forth. And, you know, this whole... Potentially in the past, what has at times been a headache of hosting uh, around, you know, security and PCI and scalability during the holidays and, you know, who, who, who's up at three in the morning in case, you know, the, you know, server falls down, you know, that has for the most it's part over. been, it's over, it's been commoditized. And I think, you know, AWS at the infrastructure level has played a big role of that. Um, you know, we, we've built uh, Magento Cloud on AWS and you just look at our merchant base. Um, you know, we, we did a big study and we looked at our, install base at least at the the enterprise edition and 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 a third of them had already moved to AWS and and they're moving away from dedicated hosting into the cloud anyway and so you know our our clients were clearly going down this path and and really all we're doing is is supporting them making it easier um bringing Magento I think into a a closer relationship with the client again we're not just selling them software selling them something and and sort of you know washing our hands of it but we're now actively involved in in their sort of day-to-day operations which is great for us it's great for the clients so um, and I, I ask this, these questions because at Channelvisor we have all these SMB customers and I get tons of these questions. So I've been dying to ask you guys things. So, so, let, so, so you have this new cloud offering is both the community and enterprise edition available there, or is it just the enterprise edition? Is there kind of a, a beginner and then an advanced edition or how does that work? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's only available in enterprise edition. Yeah. And I imagine there's like the enterprise kind of fee plus some hosting fees kind of a thing. Yes. Yeah. But there's nothing that stops me if I want to take the community edition and figure out how to kind of put it on AWS. It's just that no. you aren't providing no, that as like an integrated yeah. thing. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And the, the biggest difference between those two models is the managed services that you're going to provide to do it for them versus them having to do it themselves. Is that? It, it, is, it is the ability to technically do some things around um, uh, replicating your site, doing some staging, pre-production, uh upgrading, you know, our ability to monitor what is going on with your application to make sure that you're getting the best performance out of everything. Uh, we have prepackaged a number of great uh, technologies that are important around cloud computing. We have New Relic as a great partner that has integrated that. We have Fastly. We've got um, 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we, we package the whole cloud bundle. I mean, the, the idea is not just one throat to choke from a sort of contracting perspective, but we really want to make this as simple for the merchant as possible where, you know, we, we, you know, we have the scale of working with these thousands and thousands of merchants and we take the best practices from all of them and we sort of evaluate that. We work with all our partners and we're trying to make this as easy as possible and, and package it into, you know, what's really a, a not only a best in class offering, but a, but a set of best practices. And, and so, of course, you can do that on the community edition, but you're, some ways reinventing the wheel each time or, or you're sort of, you know, paving your own path, whereas we've sort of cleared the path and, 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 and it's the best path, the, uh, bringing in all the best practices from, from all the partners. So, so in the cloud model, um, is it totally hands off? So I sign up for your enterprise cloud model and you guys are, uh, the site goes down, I get a new relic alert. Um, do you guys go solve that for me or I'm, I'm still Amazon kind of, uh, AWS goes down. So let's, yeah, I'm on so one. Amazon note. goes I'm down. Cheap, I call Jeff one. Bezos and say, "Yeah, what's going on?" Oh, he he they, publishes a letter and says, "Hey, it's the, it's the internet." They've had outages, over. so right. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, but like, who do you guys have like uh, a net ops kind of team that manages all that for, for <clears> folks, yeah, or do so, they actually have to kind of like get at the AWS layer themselves? No, no, no. Okay. The, there's a couple layers. First is we have a very strong SI uh, um, ecosystem that you know if you work with your SI. They are trained on how SI stands for I'm sorry, system integrator. Yep. And they're trained on how to leverage the Magento cloud platform using AWS. And uh, they're your first line of defense. Okay. Um, second line of defense is uh, the partner that we work with, plat- Platform SH, has developed this in such a way that there's a lot of self service aspects to how you deal and tune and migrate and do all these things. It's a phenomenally advanced. Capability that we uh, that we've partnered and with. There's, there's triple redundancy built in there, so you know if one node in a, an AWS data center f- you know f- falls over, then there's two more nodes <clears throat> that it's still running on. So. Yeah, yeah. But we just said triple redundancy, so we've lost like half of your users. I'm. Or your listeners, I'm sure. <laughs> Luckily, our audience is redundant, so even if we lose them, <laughs> we still have them. Yeah, we have no single point. Of it is 10:30 at night in shop.org in Dallas. Exactly. Or something like that. I, I I know it's about four cocktails at night. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, so one thing that's interesting is a lot of vendors, when they talk about cloud, would be saying generically cloud, right? And and you you seem to be saying AWS, which I, I I'm fascinated by. Obviously, like. Uh, they're doing terrific in the marketplace, and there's a, a lot of reasons you could imagine that they have. Or, Oracle's going to beat them. I just heard Larry Ellison say that their dominance is over. So. His, his handlers are on the way over to the studio yeah. right now. So <laughs> we, we will have to wrap yeah. up before they get here. <laughs> uh, but uh, usually, like the the interesting dilemma in our space is like obviously uh, a big part of, of your user base are going to be retailers. Um, it, if, if we all take for granted uh, as a given that AWS is the best cloud platform, there's still a bunch of retailers that are leery about giving their business to a company that in other parts of their business is causing them great competitive grief. Yeah. So you hear a lot of e-commerce platforms will either not exclusively choose Amazon or they'll choose the Rackspaces or Microsoft Azure's of the world just to avoid that sort of channel conflict with Amazon. It seems like you guys have made the strategic decision, screw it, we think Amazon's the best solution and that's what we're doing. No, but um, it's a great thing to talk about. We made it only because we observed that a lot of, remember, Magento has 250,000 active sites out there. We do about we do well over fifty billion dollars of GMV across the world. Um, it, it, we noticed a migration of our hosting into public cloud and predominantly Amazon. So it's it's not like us dictating. One thing I've learned about being part of Magento, we don't really dictate anything. You know, it's it's very open. It has to be very collaborative, and we just observe the trends. So the first thing I'd say is. The, the our strategy around this is to allow our merchants to benefit from all cloud computing because Google, Amazon, Microsoft, IBM to some extent, they are driving the cost of computing down to zero yep. with incredibly enhanced capabilities that you used to have to pay a fortune for. And remember, I worked for a company that bought GSI. So I know how much it costs to build that type of gold-plated, multi-redundant, you know, it's expensive. This is now a utility. 
So that's maybe the most important part. Yes, we're starting at Amazon, but primarily because that's been uh, the voting of our ecosystem. Um, but we will have other other platforms available. I'd say the most interesting thing for me in terms of the trend <clears throat> is that SaaS as a concept had a huge basis in not having to deal with some of these questions, mm. as Peter said before. It's like, I don't want to go worry about what goes bump in the night. Server falls over, right? But nobody ever said, I don't want to create a differentiated customer experience. Nobody ever said, I want to extend this into my legacy systems. Nobody ever said, I don't want to we'll own that code. We, you know, we'll have the ability to create any experience they want, but they won't have to worry about the technical aspects of managing uptime and you know upgrades and, and things like that. And that is a, you know, a post-SaaS kind of trend that we're really, really excited about. Cool. The um, It wouldn't be the Jason Scott show if I didn't ask the Amazon question. We've kind of hinted at it a little bit with the AWS. But um, so you, you've been in the, you've both been in different kind of aspects of the industry for a while. I don't know if at Forrester you ever thought about the Amazon stuff. I think it's hard to be in e-commerce and not think about it. Uh, but, um, you know, certainly Bill Me Later was interesting. You guys had Amazon as a big client. And then um, after the eBay acquisition, there was some dust up there. So I'd, I'd love to hear about, hear your little history lesson on that. Uh, but what do you guys think about Amazon? And, you know, one argument I can make just to be devil's advocate is why worry the e-commerce site at all? Because Amazon's going to be where 90% of the people shop. Why not just forget having a website, forget Magento yeah. and all this kind of comp- cloud and all this community, all this hoo-ha and, and just kind of saw on Amazon. What, what, uh, what do you guys think about all that? Well, I mean, to your first part, um, Amazon was an investor in Build Me Later. I think um, had the privilege of talking directly to Jeff Bezos about what he thought about payments and, how important payments was to the experience and how, what a, what a, you know, they're very good at removing friction and payments was a part that was always a, on his mind. And, and what we did with Bill Me Later was just attempt to remove friction. Um, eBay was a competitor. Maybe we should give a little history lesson of how Bill Me Later worked for folks that may not be familiar with it. It's kind of, it's kind of become obscured. It's like, yeah, uh, it's part of PayPal. It doesn't, it's not called Bill Me Later now. It's like PayPal credit. Is that PayPal right? PayPal credit. Yeah. PayPal credit. Yeah. It doesn't have the same ring, but I, I don't, I don't hold any grudges. Um, but I'm not bitter. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was basically saying, look, there's so much information resonant sitting there in the context of an e-commerce com, uh, transaction with a consumer that was not in a face-to-face transaction time of, you know, certainly you had um, the fact that they were on Amazon, what they were buying, the time of day they were buying it, uh, what, the, whether they bought anything before there. And, and for a payment system, that's just gold. I mean, the, the, the payment system has two things, authenticity and credit worthiness. Are you who you say you are and are you actually going to make the payment? And I could go geek out on that. We might have to do another show on this, but <laughs> long, long, long story short, all we did was took that science and baked it into a shopping cart, which in 2000 was a new thing. And it removed friction. Yes, predominant amount of people still use credit cards. But as you guys know, in, in same-store sales, in e-commerce, 5% of your sales, 10% of your sales could be half of your growth. And that's what that's the value proposition we we provided. Yeah. So the consumer value prop was you'd be checking out and it, you'd get this little flag that says, "Hey, you may be available for bill me later." Mm-hmm. You'd enter your social, I think, and then it would give you a real time last four digits of your social and your date of birth. Yep. And we had everything else, and we could underwrite you in less than you know in nanoseconds. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for folks that were uh, they didn't have credit cards, they were maxed out on credit cards. A variety, maybe they just didn't want it to. Maybe it was a gift they didn't want their wife to see on the credit card. There, there's a million of reasons. Why it was pretty binary. It was, instant credit. Yeah, thing. it was it was the you, the need for credit, but it was also the need for convenience. Yeah, you know, you wake up at two a.m. The baby gets up, and you know you're you're up, and the baby's back to sleep, but you're not going to sleep, and you wanted to Jason buy that gets that a lot. right? And you did you know the, the wallets downstairs, and you're upstairs on the laptop, and you could just you could literally buy something with credentials that were in your head, and uh, and that was. That was more than half of our convenience was more than half of that value hmm. proposition. Okay. All right. So that was how Bill Me Later worked. Uh, so go back to the story. So you were on Amazon. You guys, uh, that, I'm sure that was an exciting pitch. You're on Amazon. They're, I imagine they're probably your largest customer. Well, I think it was pretty basic. I mean, at that time, you could see where things were playing out. The platform wars, 
Facebook, Apple, Google, uh, Amazon. Then you had PayPal and eBay. Everybody was going to converge to commerce and payments, right? Amazon was clearly thinking about that. They were commerce, you know, Google was had aggregate demand and they were getting into payments. And so when we, when we finally sold and remember we sold in a not too, you know, easy time, 2008, um, uh, Amazon, Amazon decided that bill me later was part of, uh, eBay and eBay was competitive. So they just turned off the, the service. Yeah. It's just literally overnight. Wow. Uh, and then how do you guys feel broadly about Amazon and, and kind of we, we did a session today where we kind of debated, you know, is it effectively game over for, for retail and websites or is there still room for people to exist in no, an Amazon? World? Not at all. I think this is the most fascinating thing happening and we're missing it by thinking there are certainly and you guys have covered this topic. I've listened to your shows they are excellent about if you're selling other people's stuff. Yeah, that's going to be very tough. Although I've got I just met, you know, a guy selling um, printer cartridges that Amazon can't figure out how to sell, and he's doing really well with it. There are niches to be had in the in that in that area. But what our business is so people ask us about Shopify, Demandware, all these other places. We see such a greenfield in the digitization of all businesses and all verticals that have, I would say, they are emboldened by what Amazon is doing. Right. They see that the fact that they need to move their strategies. They see the fact that they need to, you know, engage their customers in digital fashion. And we're talking about universities, uh, music companies, beverage companies, um, you know, financial services companies that are Magento clients. And they are basically creating digital experiences for their customers that is transaction based. And they're not afraid of Amazon. They are not like, oh my God, I have to do this because of Amazon. They're doing it because of all the other things that are happening around us in terms of the internet, mobility, and the expectations of consumers. Cool. Peter, what, what yeah, you, I, I when you're at Forrester and people are like, OMG, what do I do about Amazon? Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, think, I think you have to look at sort of the, the mindset of the millennial shopper today. And, and to Mark's point, there's a difference between a, a retailer that's reselling someone else's products versus a brand that's selling their own products. And I think, you know, when you, when you look at the world of brands, you know, today's millennials have grown up in this world where it's just the norm and, and, and it's hard to explain, but they, they want to buy direct from the brand. They want to buy a car from Tesla, not from the car dealership. They want to buy in the Apple store, not from Best Buy. And, and so it is this sort of brand led, um, experience. And, and, and Amazon, you know, the value prop for Amazon today is, it's really around that fulfillment efficiency. It's, it's a two day shipping. It's prime. It, it's, it's sort of the reliability of the service. And, it, but, but ultimately, you know, as it relates to that interaction, they're not buying from Amazon. They want to buy the brand. And so, you know, I think there's, there's a resurgence underway with the brand website, the ability that the brand is the authority. The brand has all of the SKUs and the assortment and the latest products and has access to everything. Whereas Amazon, Amazon have what they decide to buy plus the marketplace. And, you know, and there's a ton of duplication and, and it's kind of all, well, here's the same product 10, 15 times over and which one, who am I going to buy from? And, and there's all that sort of complexity where I think where the brands are falling short is is more on the sort of the fulfillment model, being able to compete with that two day shipping and just adding that value prop. And if they can nail that, the millennial shopper is, is very much aligned with buying from the brand. Cool. Um, you hinted on this earlier about kind of the extension model of Magento. Mm-hmm. Um, when I've talked to some Magento customers, they're kind of a little confused by this whole thing. So, so you guys had this really big ecosystem with, you know, I don't know, probably at least thousands, if not tens of thousands of, of, do we call extensions. them extensions? Yeah. Extensions or add-ons? Yep. Yeah. So kind of like apps for for layman. Yeah. Um, and then as you went to Magento 2, it's almost like you redid the ecosystem. Um, so, uh, so we turned the model on its head. Yeah. Um, you know, in Magento 1, it was Craigslist. It was an open, uh, you know, an open, an open marketplace. Anyone could come along. Any developer could, could build an extension, put it, put it in, the, in, in what was... It still is there. It's, it's called Connect, um, and, and, and offer it to, to the Magento One ecosystem. Um, and, and that was great. I mean, it drove, you know, growth and, 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 you know, the marketplace and extensions are, are key to the value prop of Magento. But, you know, there are downsides in, in that, you know, the, um, the, the huge variety of extension builders and providers from system integration firms to independent developers. Uh, and so there's no sort of support model there. And, and there was no gate. There was no governance around the quality of those extensions. And, and there were a lot of duplications, you know, like, 
you, there was 30 extensions that more or less did the same thing, which is why we ended up with this high, you know, count. So, so with Magento 2, we wanted to really again become merchant friendly and, and move to more of an Apple App Store model so so it's now a curated marketplace and there's a, a gated entrance so uh, as a, an extension developer now you have to submit your code it goes through various code quality checks performance checks we make sure that code is not plagiarized from another extension builder uh, we you know we, we, we only need a handful of extensions that do the same thing we don't need 20 extensions that do the same thing uh, you know we, we insist that you unless provide really good. unless are really good <laughs> you know we we, we 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 want videos we want user guides we want you know images and tutorials and and, and we insist on all this it's mandatory so there's a much higher barrier to entry and 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 um you, you know we, we've been very very thorough with this so you know the mantra is quality over quantity now and, and i think for the merchant it, it's a huge value prop because you know as you go to what is now marketplace uh you know marketplace.magento.com um you know the extensions that are in there today are curated quality quality extensions that are certified by Magento. Has that, um, it seems like, uh, and, and this is kind of maybe six month old information, but some of the folks I've talked to, um, they were kind of waiting on Magento too, cause their favorite extension wasn't ready. You got it. Um, exactly. how, is that, is that created some friction on getting it, people it, it to It was, you know, it was a problem in the first part of the year as we rolled out Magento two in, in sort of late November. Um, you know, we've been working with the extension providers and it's a classic sort of, you know, long tail. I mean, you know, there, the, you know, there's a hundred extensions that are used by the majority of merchants and then you get into sort of that long tail. So it's a about making sure that the top 100 extensions were available on M2. And I think we achieved that pretty quickly. Um, but, but, you know, there were still sort of gaps. And, and so we, we worked pretty hard with, you know, listening to, you know, working with our sales reps and listening to, to merchants that were, you know, had that, had, had that issue. And, and then really working with the original extension providers who built M1 extensions and saying, listen, there's demand in the marketplace for M2, getting them to sort of, you know, to build those M2 extensions. So where we are today, um, you know, we're, we're over 500 extensions in the marketplace live and available there's another 500 that are in that vetting process um so very rapidly we're going to be you know over a thousand extensions i think you know where we are today that's uh you know we're we're past that issue i mean the the extensions that you need that you were reliant on in m1 they're they're available for m2 today got it and will you guys support uh the i don't know what you call the old magento is it m1 you know do you got will you guys support that for a very long time or is there some time people have to get on m2 no there's an end of life for magento one yeah yeah Uh, november 2018 is the the formal end of life when when we as a a company stop supporting it and um you know so so there's a clear uh you know path to migration that's well underway i mean you know we have just uh you know dozens and dozens of go lives you know every day of merchants upgrading to magento 2 and and that's accelerating and uh, uh you know, we'll, we'll see mass um, migration, you know, through 2017 and, and into 2018. Especially October of 18, you'll see mass migration. <laughs> <laughs> All those procrastinators. Yep. It, I, I'm not looking for any proprietary information, but have you shared any mm-hmm. statistics about the migration into uh, was it? Uh, is there a meaningful chunk of the... Yeah, cut? I mean, it's kind of... Uh, Again, with Magento, you have to be very open about everything. We have six, how many? Oh, over 6,000 live sites on Magento, too. Yeah. And, and I mean, it in and of itself would be a very fast, would be a very like top uh, uh, platform uh, from a growth perspective. Is that out of the 250,000 you mentioned earlier? Or that's, yeah, okay. out of the 250. Right. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. All, it's a lot of net new businesses. Yeah. So, uh, very, we're very encouraged by the adoption of the platform. Um, it's a testament to how vibrant our ecosystem is. And it's a testament to, I think, the demand for uh, flexibility, extendability, the global nature of the platform, uh, and and kind of a disruptive total cost of ownership model, mm-hmm. especially with our cloud platform. That if you think about commerce, which you guys spend a lot of time on, there isn't one company that has defined themselves around the around this value proposition, and and Magento being an independent company, uh, you know, generally when an open source project achieves the level that we've achieved, it tends to have the largest share of the market that it plays in. And I think what you'll see over the next couple of years with Magento, especially with the Magento two platform, especially with the products and the cloud product we launched around it, uh, it'll be the dominant player in 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 the market by sheer force of the ecosystem around it and demand for what we provide so uh that's a perfect segue to to the last two topics i want to get to because i know we're we're pressed on time but uh 
two potentially incongruous topics to talk about. So sort of where you see yourselves in the ecosystem of solutions. And I, I want to talk a little bit about that. And then I really want to talk about uh, whether that's even the, that ecosystem is even the right way to think about what customers need in the future and, and what we all anticipate uh, customers are going to need in the future to be successful in commerce. Um, but going back to that, that uh, so I'm just warning you what's coming. Uh, so uh, Get ready. Here come the offer question. That, that first question, you know, there's, I tend to think of this kind of linear progression of platforms, right? Like, so there's a, there's long tail platforms that really cater to the small businesses, and and uh, certainly I think the roots of Magento were very much there. Uh, today, you think of the Shopify, uh, you know, as as getting some good traction in that space. Um, you have a bunch of mid tier platforms that you know maybe targeted a particular vertical market or, you know, uh, specifically focused on B2B or those sorts of things. And then you had these enterprise platforms that in Peter's old job, he, you know, he would have said were the, the enterprise platforms that are now owned by IBM, Oracle, and, and SAP. Um, where, and Salesforce. Uh, yeah, so demandware <laughs> being a slightly gray area, like some, you know, but... but Who, who's demandware? Exactly. Okay. Salesforce Commerce Cloud being somewhat of a great area. I'll, I'll put them up in that. I didn't inner. see them at the show. <laughs> uh, the, so where does Magento want to live in that space? Like, like what, like, where should we think of you today? I mean, are, are like, is the answer you're trying to be all of those things or you, you feel like you're someplace now and you're trying to get someplace else? No, I, I really think we are struggling against even you guys trying you you want to put us in a box. Yes, like there are a the, bunch of boxes over here in the yeah, corner, and I'm just yeah. trying to figure out which one to put. Nobody right. nobody puts Magento in the corner. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> puts Magento in a corner, baby. Uh, my wife's favorite movie, and I uh, I think that is what people are missing. That there is something very exciting happening in our industry that we that we give too much credit to past thinking about what defines you know commerce, e-commerce, offline commerce. Uh, we don't have the time, but you know, walking you through the use cases of what people are doing with Magento, you'd be stunned at the diversity of what's happening with the industry that we were all a part of 10 years ago. You've got a convergence of people who have started early. You know, our, our biggest win rate when we look at from a sales perspective is other. It's none of the names we've said here. It's people are coming off of homegrown platforms and, you know, we tried Blue Martini, Blue Martini, commercial wear, uh, you know, these names that we knew about, but nobody would know about, but they've customized them. Um, the other interesting aspect are industries that are just coming to the whole transactional commerce space. And they don't think of e-commerce. They think of mobile. They think of retail. They think of how do I engage my customer with digital content around a catalog that houses what I'm trying to sell with inventory that I have available for them with ways that I can get that product to them. That is, you know, that's not our mentality of e-commerce. And <clears throat> this is a 10 year shift, right? These companies that had brochureware, you know, that put up what they, what they sold and how you might be able to get it is the biggest part of our business right now. We don't compete with anybody for that business. And in a large part of our business, Magento has no competition. I think to add to that, you know, we're, we're not obsessed about this. Where do we fit in this sort of GMV band? Are we serving SMBs or mid-market or enterprise? It's let, Let's park that conversation for a moment. You I spent think, your whole career creating these, what are they, waves, waves quadrants yeah, but, or whatever? Yeah, we, yeah, you, yeah for the enterprise. You created this yeah, problem. Yeah, I, I know that. I did. I know. Then you hired me. Yeah. <laughs> Glad <laughs> we're getting this on. But, but, but I, think, I, think what's, <laughs> yeah. I think what's exciting about Magento is we're this little company. We, you know, we're 600 people headcount, um, but but we, we play play on, on this mass industry vertical scale. And so you look at where our clients are and where we've got references and case studies. We're in every vertical you could possibly imagine. You know, we're in healthcare, we're in pharmaceutical, we're in government, we're in B2C, we're in retail, we're B2B. A third of our merchants are running some form of B2B on the Magento platform. When you look at sort of that sort of narrow focus that perhaps some of our competitors focus on, which is B2C retail, and they get obsessed about stores and omnichannel, that's a great market to be in. But 
but it's a very saturated market. It's a very mature market, and it's only about 15% of the addressable market. And so when we look outside of that, and we look at these areas of growth in B2B and, you know, these, all these interesting segments, everything from oil and gas, you know, there's, there is not an industry out there that is not adopting e-commerce. And I think the unique thing about Magento is not sort of, you know, our ability in terms of the size of our sales force to be in all these verticals in a direct channel, but it's the diversity of the ecosystem. The fact that we have these hundreds and hundreds of system integrators and partners out there, you know, evangelizing on our behalf, selling on our behalf, and and, and our system integrators are the, are the force of, of Magento. So, you know, we have SIs that have very specific verticalized expertise. You know, we have SIs that just do automotive. All they do is go pitch to Volkswagen and Audi and Ford, and, and that's all all they do and we have others in every vertical who do that and, and it, it's a great testament to the diversity uh, of, of you know how Magento really does power commerce across all these industries what's the uh, just kind of land that what what's the most unusual use of Magento oh, you guys have seen <laughs> so you know you've I don't got, think we can answer you've that you've got the, the classic podcast. apparel website <laughs> with a cart and all that stuff have you guys seen like uh, embedded systems or um kiosk or like what what's the most kind of uh, internet where you look at it and you're like wow glucose monitoring with hardware and uh internet of things kind of call back to provision medicine <clears throat> we we we've seen um well look look, look at graze like, who would have thought that uh the subscription model would go to snacks mm-hmm. you know graze and you know, we have graze on our platform jason was a he's an early adopter of that yeah he yeah, loves some, some snacks great and they've done they've done amazingly well um, you know, we we have have had the uh, the eBay of of Africa on uh, on build build their their site on Magento. We've had uh, it's kind of a whole marketplace built on the Magento engine. Yes. Okay, yeah, got it. Um, we've had point of sale systems built on Magento. We've had uh, clienteling systems built on Magento. Uh, it, it it is it is just the most fascinating business to watch our. Just scratch our heads. I mean, just watch our daily sales uh, come in, and you'll you'll get that the the old way of thinking about where our industry is going. And I think you kind of see it in shop.org. You see it in the expansion. You know, three years ago, it was all about Amazon and the Amazon effect. But there's this other conversation happening about optimism, about you know how you thrive and how you engage customers, uh, and how we include more industries in in what we do that uh, we see every single day. And uh, it's pretty thrilling. So, and and that's a perfect segue to sort of our our last topic, like talking about where this is all going. Um, I I have a premise that, you know, it's really hard for companies that have been successful in a particular model to, to be the first movers in a different model. I think we talk a lot about that's that's one of the things that Amazon's uniquely good at is disrupting themselves. Yeah, it's the innovator's dilemma. Yep. Um, so a lot of these big platforms that have had the most success over the last five years, you know, they, they, they won by being a turnkey solution for the clients and being these big monolithic, uh, single systems. And, you know, you go look at their roadmaps right now and they're very heavily like, Oh, customers are moving to the cloud. So we're trying to figure out how to move our on-prem solution to the cloud and customers want OMS in their solution. So we're trying to figure out how to build OMS and all these sort of, incremental changes to their to their legacy model but you go talk to the clients and you say what what do you want yeah um and it it really doesn't feel like that is the appealing solution it's a, it's like well we want a headless solution we want a set of apis we want to be able to sell on the, uh these internet of things and we want to be able to sell on google media and we want to be able to sell through chat box and all these different things um and you know frankly there are a bunch of interesting startups out there that are trying to build platforms and tools natively to, to address that. Like, are, you know, do you see yourselves moving in that direction? And, and like, is your, is your history of those 260,000 sites that were built in the old model, you know, an advantage or a disadvantage for getting you there? You know, uh, that is where probably we are pretty, um, I don't want to, I don't want to over speak and say similar to Amazon. We are in a disruptive force from a business model perspective. We are now a nine digit revenue company that is profitable making money, but we have a disruptive kind of gene to us that says anything 
that comes and has a commerce bent to it, we will be involved in. It is not like a profit center that we have to protect. So that I think that's the first part of your question. Second part is, I don't think we're in an age where um, you need to go figure out the next silo you need to build you know, your social commerce business on. What you need is a platform that recognizes that the channels to the customer are, are diverse and are going to remain diverse for a long time. Snapchat, Instagram, uh, Facebook. And unless your platform can deal with that easily and effortlessly, that's going to be cost and inefficiency because some of these things are going to make it and some of them aren't. Uh, so we used to deal in the place where what are you going to do about e-commerce? You know, are you going to have a website and your store? Now it's like you're going to have to engage where your customer is. And that's where our business is. At, at our heart and soul, we're like, it's not a web business. It is how do you connect with where your customer is in whatever channel there is with content, with inventory and fulfillment capability. And that's where the winners will emerge. Sounds a lot like the headless strategy you're talking about. It can be headless only if there is a specific nature of that channel that causes you to be headless. For instance, if um, you want a native mobile app, then yeah, we're headless to that native mobile app because you have determined that there is so special of a user experience that you need to have that all you really want Magento to do is interact with, you know, what orders coming out of that app. That's fine with us. Look at our deal with Adobe that we just announced today. If content is so important to you and so curated and so cross-channel that you're going to invest a lot in making sure that that's right, then yeah, then use Magento to provide the, you know, uh, catalog to provide the checkout to provide the order management. That's fine. That's where the world's going. Our job is to create, you know, simplicity out of the complexity that exists in the front to the consumer and to the back to the fulfillment. And there's not a lot of companies that can honestly say that they do that at the scale that we do today. I think it drives us back to the start of the, the podcast, which is, you know, the feature wars are over. You know, it's, it's, you can't win this game of just constantly investing in Peter, fe- Peter Shelton, by the way, saying that the feature wars are over. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's a losing, it's a losing battle. And, and, you know, we're in a mature space. A lot of these platforms have been around for 15 years plus. I mean, we have the features and Magento is absolutely a leader there from there to the box. I think where we differentiate is that, you know, there's there's new things happening every day. There's new technologies that we want to experiment with, that we want to invest in. We can't do it. None of our competitors can do it, no matter whether you've got 100 R&D headcount, 500 or 1,000. You know, what we have the power of is, is, the, is the ecosystem. And so we have the ecosystem out there, you know, these 170,000 developers, the, you know, 1,000 plus partners who are building innovation. And some of those innovations are, you know, dead in the water. Some of them, you know, will last for a period of time. Some of them will really, you know, drive and be the next, you know, drive in, in this space and what, what's unique to us is that the ecosystem is allowing us to experiment and in some ways they're, they're ahead of us and, and we get to sort of you know use that as a barometer and some of that stuff will bring back into the platform but we're conscious that you know we don't want to turn into one of these big monolithic you know big four software company platforms with every feature under the sun that you know we become the space shuttle and, and you need a friggin you know flight crew to fly the space shuttle because that's not where the merchants are at. So uh, one one follow up question there, like the that that's an appealing model as long as a I don't have to pay for a bunch of the the features that I'm not using in my particular use case, right? Um, and so you have to have an economic model that lets me you know sort of a la carte the features I'm using, and I also don't want to get forked from your development just because I'm I'm doing something unique, right? And or I built a a unique solution on on some of your components. So do you guys feel like you've addressed the economic model and the It's the more of- the latter than the former. I mean, the economic model like our 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 users, our clients are very savvy about what is worth buying and what's not worth buying. Which I think the SaaS systems preclude them from even knowing what they're getting. Yeah. Like you buy a, something for 2% of your GMV and you're like, "Oh, now I have to buy another extension." So we don't have any problem economically. It's it's a matter of what you said, which is, can I access this in a seamless way that I'm sure it's going to do what it says it's going to do? 
and I don't, I don't have to put a lot of effort into it. And that's our job right now as a platform company. And yeah, I think we are addressing that. Magento 2, the cloud, our order management capability. We're launching a B2B uh, module that will address some of the specific needs of that, which is, by the way, 30% of our business and growing. Um, there's just a way that we are creating opportunities on the platform to do what you want to do as a merchant that I don't think any other other platform that you might interview on the uh, Jason and Scott show uh, can do. But we're a little biased to that. Yeah, you're <laughs> right today because you're the only platform we've allowed on. So yeah, yeah, and I think there's a reason the first for and last. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah, well, that's uh, going to have to be a perfect place to end because once again we've wasted a perfectly good hour of our listeners' time. Yeah, so we really appreciate appreciate it, Mark and Peter, for coming. I know you guys are busy at the show, and thanks for staying up late. And I'm sure you'll get up early to see Jason MC the keynote at what is it like 5:30 a.m. tomorrow that, that you're going to be doing that, or yeah, so, exactly breakfast at 4:45, and then yeah, we'll kick so, off. So we look forward to five. seeing you at that, and uh, really appreciate we'll having you guys there. on the show. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks very much. Guys. Thanks, appreciate. It. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.